we went to a wedding, which is brilliant. Day one, everybody else has finished. They've gone in and I'm just like, did you hear all the music? Did you go to the wedding? They're like, no, we're in a race. And I was just like, oh, I went to a wedding. So I went to a wedding. Uh, I went to temples with parrots. There was a military barracks and we went and saw that and any important buildings, lots and lots of different things. So I had a very different experience. We would walk through villages and just everybody would stop and talk to us. And because he would he was so interested in his, you know, and telling me and then obviously telling them what we were doing. And then we got to this school and they came out and they absolutely covered me in like this dried, crushed rose petals. So I did smell like Turkish delight. My top, I've never, I will never wash my top. I've got it preserved and framed because it's covered in the red rose petals, which is my blessing from this from the school. So it was lovely, really lovely. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Running Tales podcast with me, Craig Lewis, and the owner of the voice you just heard, Emily Moore. Emily is talking there about her experience of completing the Capital to Country Ultramarathon at the end of last year. Capital to Country is a five-day, 123-mile event that winds its way through the foothills of Nepal. Despite being an experienced runner and triathlete, Emily took the unusual step of power-walking the whole event, a move which resulted in her times remaining only slightly slower than those of other seasoned ultra-runners taking part, while also enabling her to take on a more authentic view of her spectacular surroundings. It's part of a plan she hopes will allow her to tackle the formidable Marathon de Saabs in April this year, the latest endeavour in a running career which almost never got underway. That's because Emily was told she'd never walk unaided again, let alone run, following an accident when she was just 19. Determined to prove everyone wrong, Emily entered the London Marathon and four years later was cheered home by, among others, her knee surgeon. I spoke to Emily about running while pregnant, why running has helped her meet friends all around the world, and how the Nepal Capital to Country Ultra saw her find herself again after divorce. But before we move on to Emily's story, I want to say a word about this week's podcast sponsor. Regular listeners to the Running Tales podcast will remember our chat with two-time world marathon running champion Grayson Murphy in July last year. If not, please make sure to go and check it out as it's a really good episode. Grayson is a phenomenal runner who has set incredible standards on both the trail and on the track. And now she's joined forces with this podcast to offer our lovely listeners, that's you, the chance to plan their runs the Grayson Murphy way. The Racing Grayson Training Log and Planner is your key to staying organised and inspires whatever your running goal might be. With a sleek hard cover, vibrant new colours and the unique aeroplane arms snap-in bookmark, if you don't know what that means, again, have a listen back to the podcast. The planner will allow you to dive into your training schedule and goal-setting worksheet, inspiring you to plan and achieve all of your running objectives. With dedicated daily spaces to track both training and life events, inspirational quotes and mental health journey prompts, all bundled up on sustainable Forest Stewardship Council paper, the Race and Grace and Training Log is your companion to chasing your wildest dreams. Priced at just $29.99, this planner is already an absolute bargain waiting to be snapped up. But thanks to Running Tales and Grayson Murphy, you can get 20% off any purchase. Simply head over to www.racing-grayson.com That's Racing Grayson, R-A-C-I-N-G-R-A-Y-S-O-N.com 
Visit the product page there and use the discount code RUNNINGTAILS20 to take advantage of this amazing offer. You can find a direct link and all these details in our show notes. So now you're ready to take on the running world yourself, let's head back to this week's podcast and the story of Emily Moore, who I asked whether she's always been a runner. I used to do 1500 metres at school. So long distance has always been something that I loved, but I used to want to run barefoot. I was a bit obsessed with Zola Bud, I think, when I was a kid and a weird thing to be obsessed with. But so I always used to want to run barefoot. But I actually didn't then, I ran at school, but then I didn't run. And then when I was 19, I had an accident and I was told I would never run again. I injured my knee and so basically at 21 I was then told I would walk with elbow crutches and I would nearly always need support and I was determined that I wouldn't be that and so actually my knee surgeon was at so he was a, he was an orthopedic surgeon from Oxford he actually was at mile 25 of my first marathon because uh, I was so I determined I was determined I wasn't going to be and it would it wouldn't be that way so I just started off running 5ks and and then 10ks and when I was growing up um, my first PE teacher, if you like, at school, she did the London Marathon. And I think it might have been either Flora or Mars. I can't remember. But she came in with a silver blanket. Uh, and I must have been five or six, I think, at school. So it was my very first school. And she came in with this silver foil blanket. And I've, I'd always wanted one. <laughs> so I was determined I was going to do London Marathon. Yeah. And, and as you were coming back from that, knee injury and being told you probably wouldn't be able to run again might not even be able to sort of walk properly again I mean how how hard was that process and how tough was it getting out there again for the first time really hard really really hard and I tried all sorts of different things to help I tried trainers that were built up because technology's moved on so much since then anyway but yeah it was I remember right running in a pair of I think they were called I think they were ASICs they might have been 20, 2010s or something like that. And they were quite a built-up supportive shoe. And I could never get past 5Ks with them. And it was just, it hurt so much all the time. And I remember my dad telling me that you don't, and I've got like arches. My arches were quite low because of the injuries and things like that. And my dad saying, you don't support an arch by putting a pillar underneath it. So I then started running with zero. And I it was kind of, I suppose, back to the whole Zola Bud thing. And I then started running with minimalistic trainers. And it's when Nike Freeze came out. The very, do you remember Nike Freeze, the very first time yeah. they came out? And it was a pair of those that I got. And I transitioned so slowly into them. I spent, I remember that I'd got them and I walked around the house in them for a week before I even dared go outside running in them. And so I slowly built up. And that then... Once I'd got those, I then was able to increase my mileage. Um, but it was it was a really slow process. And I just, you know, each week I'd add like 5% on my long run. Um, but it took a long time, a long, long time. But we know how long it takes to get into London Marathon anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was you perfect know. for you. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. So the whole, it was still when you could get, was it the three years and then you were in? So on the fourth year you were in, that's when I got my first London Marathon, which was 2011. Uh, I got my first place. So, uh, you know, I'd been I'd been applying every year to get a place and then got a place that way. My, my wife actually did it for a charity place la- last year, but that was after 10 years of, of failing to get in. It's so, oh. so tough to uh, to get in there now. But uh, I'm just intrigued slightly with, with your kind of journey of recovery still and 
the reaction of other people um, around you and other runners and, and was it was it all very encouraging or were there any voices sort of saying oh look this is a lovely goal but you're going to do yourself some long-term damage here no I think everybody was really positive actually interestingly enough the the only time I've ever had any negative stuff was when I was pregnant and still running I still trained through both my pregnancies and, and ran quite long distances through both of them so yeah I think that's the only time I've ever had any negative you know negativity around my running I think is when I was pregnant why do you think that is is there just a a, a feeling that whatever people... there's a lack of, there's a lack of knowledge there's a lack of knowledge around it and I mean I was by that point when I was pregnant with my daughter I was I was training for an Ironman so I suspect I suspect there was just a there's a lack of knowledge around pregnancy and uh, running and exercise but I had a great midwife who was absolutely brilliant and was just like you know, if you're doing it already, then you keep on doing it, you know, and and people say, oh, listen, make sure you listen to your body. You don't have any, obje- any, any choice when you're pregnant. You just, it, but your body screams at you with what you can do and what you can't do. So, I mean, I did four, I think four marathons while I was pregnant with Iona, my daughter. And I, I remember running Manchester Marathon with a uh, running for two, with a running for two t-shirt on it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, somebody told me, that, I can't remember who it was told me the other day that that they found it easier to run while pregnant than they did after having given birth oh, with yeah. definitely definitely my uh, definitely I was much more able to run during pregnancy the, the after pregnancy when I only was born and then obviously with mouse as well that getting back to running that's really difficult because all your ligaments are really loose and things like that so yeah, it's harder to run, I think, post-pregnancy. And I think the ten- we have a tendency to rush back into training to get that whole, you know, get your body back. That's that's the hardest bit, I, uh, you know, physically for me. That running after I'd had my children was harder than actually running during pregnancy. I loved running during pregnancy. I just had a, I had a great time doing it. Yeah. And had uh, uh, children coming into the world with uh, more marathons under their belt than, than most adults. Yes, yeah, and I mean, my two especially, they've done, they've done, they've done, I know, I know will tell anybody that's listening that I, she's, you know, she took part in an Ironman <laughs> when Mummy <laughs> was pregnant with me, um, you know, she told Alistair Brownlee that, <laughs> but yeah, no, and you know, I think, yeah, it's, it's running, running during pregnancy is really good. Just rewinding to that, that first, uh, that first marathon, uh, how did it go on the, on the day? Was uh, the knee held up, presumably the surgeon was there to greet you and, uh, and a running yeah, the, knee, the knee held up. I had a brilliant time. I remember going through Blackwall Tunnel, I think it, and it was, it was really hot. It was a hot one. And you trained at you all the way. The, that's the weird thing about London Marathon. You train for it all during the really cold weather through the snow and the ice and then suddenly marathon day is absolute scorcher apart from this year when it rained and I ran in the rain this year but yeah you just it's always so hot at London marathon day but yeah I remember Blackwall Tunnel being like Armageddon you know and you kind of got you went down there and it's the only place where no one can see you and everybody walks and there's you know it just was a strange it's a very strange but I loved every minute of it I really did love every single step and every minute of of London Marathon and then I entered Berlin and uh Pisa straight after so I did three marathons uh, oh Edinburgh yeah I did Edinburgh Berlin and Pisa so I did four marathons in the first year of doing yeah, marathons and, and and just to let people know where running has taken you since then because 
it, it's not it didn't end with those four you've done quite a few marathons and longer distances and triathlons I believe yeah yeah so the running then led to um I have a group of friends who are I work I worked I worked at the time within the wedding industry and I have a group of friends that are photographers and they were all cyclists and runners so there was all like you know a bit of competitiveness around the fact that I'd got the fastest marathon time but they were much better on bikes than me so then I started cycling which then led to learning to swim because I couldn't because as soon as you're swimming and uh, cycling and running everybody then says when are you going to do a triathlon and I was like I can't swim so in 2014 I learned to swim uh, as an adult so I then did my first Ironman in that August uh, and that's then shortly after when Iona was born so I did Ironmans long distance swim long distance bike rides I've always stuck to doing the marathon has been the longest distance I would ever run and I didn't think I would ever go over that and then I I don't know something just switched in me that I just wanted to do something slightly longer and a girlfriend sent me a link Zoe she sent me a link saying I've seen this race it's Glasgow to Edinburgh what do you think and I thought that she meant that she'd entered but and I put uh, and literally within a half an hour of her sending it I'd put I've entered to let's sort out the logistics. And she was just like, I meant consider it, not, <laughs> not into it. And I just done it. I, I, and so we both did that together. And that's then obviously started a bit of a bug really for going longer distances. Yeah. And that's kind of prompted a, a, a different way of, of moving forward for you as well, hasn't it? Rather than just running. Yes. So yes. Yeah, so Zoe and I did Glasgow to Edinburgh together and, uh, we set off, I suppose, at our normal marathon pace, which may not have been the wisest of moves that we've both, both ever done. But we were both, you know, like very cocky off the back of Ironman. We've both done Ironmans that year. So it's just like, it's just a breeze. We got to about 30 miles and it was somewhere near the full Kirk wheel. And so his legs fell off. And we then, our pace dramatically slowed. And we're like, we've still, we've got a long way to go. And then walkers started overtaking us. Power walkers started overtaking us, which is really quite demoralising. But yeah. what we realised is that their average pace, if you looked at it, their pace average across the race was the same as ours. And we'd been running and we'd exhausted ourselves running and then had like literally nothing left in the tank and was just dragging ourselves. So then we'd started to decide that actually maybe we should and we did London Marathon in April this year as well and that was our last ever we, we said that was our our, our our last attempt at actually running running because from then on we were going to start looking at doing like the ultra distances and then look at how we could we could walk and we did the Thames Path Ultra this year and it was so hot and we just walked the whole thing and what we noticed is that we there were uh, for the first 20 miles everybody was overtaking us of course they were we were walking but actually yeah. once you got to the 20 mile stage we then just carried on and we just kept the same pace on our average pace across the race was exact was the same we didn't we didn't drop um, and we both finished really strong and in a great place and that obviously then led me to entering Simon's race and I did and for you know and looking at that and so I found that race and I was just like well that's five days of, of, of mainly ultras Simon says they're not ultras but most of them were I don't yeah. what is it about ultra running that they don't actually measure the distance correctly <laughs> well I think it, it just gets to a point where it's so far that no one really minds they just know it's going to be painful whatever it is 
I know, but you know, when you kind of got when you were when you've got a, a measurement in your head, you're just like Simon. You said this was going to be thirty miles. It's thirty-three. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I bet those last three were fun. Your seventeen isn't seventeen. <laughs> but yeah, so I suppose I just started power walking, and that was, and then uh, through the summer for ready for the Nepal trip, I. I did a lot of wild camping slash walking and I was just coming down the North Northumberland coast and I would walk all day, get my bivy bag out, usually have fish and chips, um, get my bivy bag out and sleep on the beach and then get up the next morning and carry on. And that's how I trained for the Nepal trip, which was five incredible days. I, I can't tell you how much I loved it. Absolutely loved every minute of it. Even the long day, which there seemed to be a lot of elevation on. Yeah, yeah, and and, and probably ought to just explain to people listening to this. We we've we've spoken about it before, but the, um, oh, the yeah, five day yeah. trip out in Nepal is is uh, the capital to to country ultra. It covers one hundred and twenty three miles. Simon is Simon Hollis, who's the guy who who runs it all. And uh, yeah, I know you had quite an amazing trip out there. And I think one of the most interesting things that I found when we spoke before was that, as you've alluded to, despite power walking it all, you were only finishing an hour or two behind some of the people who were who were running it and these are um experienced ultra runners yeah so the first day I finished so Helen was the winner on the first day and I was only an hour after her yeah and obviously she's an incredible runner absolutely phenomenal runner very competitive as well she doesn't like to let you know that though (laughs) (laughs) um so her and Tarn very competitive running uh but yeah and i think the lot i think the the biggest difference was an hour and a half overall but yes yeah, so i suppose and i mean they're very experienced ultra runners and i'm not but actually to only finish an hour and a half behind everybody you know i mean the first day i was i was really shocked that i was only an hour after helen the first day i'd kind of i thought you know if i'm within three hours of them then that's fine because I knew that they were phenomenal runners and that I was, I was actually, and I, I didn't run and I made a, made a, apart from right at the very beginning for the photos uh, <laughs> and then, and then right at the end <laughs> on the very last day. But so I may, I wanted to make sure because I wanted to know that I could do this. And also I suppose it's quite good for Simon as well that actually this is then an event that pe- everybody can do and take part in. I think you ended up having quite a different experience from everybody else through through doing it that way and seeing perhaps a little bit more of Nepal. Yeah, I went to a wedding. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got uh, a guy at the back, uh, Kancha, his name is. And so he was the back marker, if you like. And the first, it was really funny because no one told me on the first day that there was going to be this back marker. So, you know, I'm a woman in a different country. I know that I've got a tracker on me, but I know that also I'm not I'm not anywhere near any of the other runners. I didn't know how close they were, actually. I thought that instantly they would be gone and out of distance. So and I'm just following these white arrows made out of flour. And there's this guy just behind me, like, and he used to, you, you want water? And I thought, I don't even know who you are. I'm not taking water off you. You know, who are you? It could be anything. You, you know, it looks like a fresh bottle, but who knows? You could have just filled it up from some dirty tap. And he got really close at one point. I actually thought, I could, I could hit him with my walking pole. It'd be all right. <laughs> if he gets too <laughs> close, that's, that's, my, that's my plan. I'm just going to hit him with my walking pole. 
And then I got found, I saw Simon and Simon's wife, and they were in obviously keep an eye on us. And I was just like, Do you know who this Muppet is? Like that, he's following me. <laughs> and they were like, Yeah, he's the back marker. And I was just like, Oh, I nearly <laughs> hit him twice with my walking poles. <laughs> And then Cantor and I, obviously, they introduced me to him. I, you know, and then we became friends. I suppose, I suppose we're still in touch now. We became friends over the over the duration. He wouldn't be there all day with me, poor old, poor chap. I mean, that would be really quite tedious. So, but he would join me, sort of like five miles in, and then he'd be with me for most of the day. And then he would, they, uh, when when like the leaders had finished, Binet, who was like the head llama guy um he would then come out and pick him up and then they would sort of like be on motorbikes just you know doubling around me but yeah so Cantor was brilliant because he he was so proud of his country and we went to a wedding which is brilliant day one everybody else has finished they've gone in and I'm just like did you hear all the music did you go to the wedding they're like no we're in a race and I was just like oh I went to a wedding so I went to a wedding I went to temples with parrots there was a military barracks and we went and saw that and any important buildings Cantor would show and lots and lots of different things. So I had a very different experience. We would walk through villages and, and just everybody would stop and talk to us. And because he would he was so interested in his, you know, and telling me and then obviously telling them what we were doing. So it was definitely and obviously on the last day. So if you spoke to Owen. Yes. Have you been, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. On the last day, Owen and I were together. Well, we were together from day three, I think, onwards. Cancha's brother is the headmaster of a, of a charity school that Cancha went to, and we were going past it. And he was really funny that day because he'd been really close with us all the way through and, you know, just standing behind chatting with us. And one day we'd got Darmesh with us as well. So we kind of had made like our own little group. I was, I, I classed myself as the Pied Piper at the back, just gathering people. <laughs> and <laughs> we'd been blessed by one uh, lot of locals, which was great. And they'd given us tangerine, which was the best tangerine I've ever had in my entire life. And then we got to this school and they came out and they absolutely covered me in like this dried crushed rose petals. So I did smell like Turkish delight, which is lovely. Um, but yeah, my top, I've never, I will never wash my top. I've got it preserved and framed because it's covered in the red rose petals, which is my blessing from this, from the school. So it's lovely, really lovely. That's really interesting in terms of how running is so powerful in terms of its potential to meet other people, even if you're just doing a local 5k or a park run or to be able to embrace different cultures in different countries. It, it kind of is something that has, has that power. Yeah, absolutely. I've got friends all over the world that I've made through runs. You know, I've been running and, and you know, you start, I'm quite chatty, don't know if you know. <laughs> and so you meet people and I'll be running along and I'll just look at someone and, and just say something silly. And I'm just, I am very chatty. And, and so you just start talking to people and I've made some incredible friends through running, incredible friends through it, even 10Ks. I did a 10K round Urchester Country Park one year. Uh, it was one of their dirt. They, I think they called it the dirt. There was three of them. And I met a girl who now lives in Australia, but we're great friends. And we met on that run. And she wasn't local, but she'd seen it advertised. So she'd come up and done it. And we've been friends. I've got friends from marathons and they're still, they're still great friends. Yeah. And I think Nepal was quite a, um, quite a spiritual trip for you as well, wasn't it? 
It really was, yes. Yeah. I was in the Himalayas. I turned 18 in the Himalayas and I, I, was, on a, I was on a youth expedition. Still got friends from there as well. <laughs> That's 28 years ago. And I, after that trip, not long after it, I, I, I met and married uh, my now ex-husband. And we had we were married for a long time. And then I got divorced just at the start of the pandemic. My marriage ended. And I, I suppose I that whole, it's like grief almost in a way, your marriage ending. And so I then decided that I wanted to do something and I wanted to go back to the Himalayas and to almost find who I was again, because, you know, I'm, I'm a working mum of two. And so you kind of get lost a little bit. I think, you know, I'm, you know, in the playground, I'm, I'm my owner's mum or I'm Mouse's mum. You know, and you almost lose your identity as to who you are or you're someone's wife or I'm, you know, I'm a teacher. So I'm their teacher. And I almost I suppose I was I'd lost Emily. And so I went to I wanted to go back to Nepal to find Emily again and and just reconnect with me as a person, you know, and not just be known as someone's mum or someone's wife or my college lecturer. So, yeah, I cried the first day. I've made these little videos as I was walking, uh, mainly to send to my kids because of the time difference that they would be asleep when I, or in school when I finished for the day. And then by the time they'd come home, it was, I was asleep. So I made these little videos and the first day I just cried. I cried on my video because I was just like, you know, I feel so connected again with the place and who I am. It was great having Helen on the trip as well, who's also a mum who runs. And so it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes exercise, like I cycle a lot as well. And quite often when I first joined my cycling club, everybody would go to me also, how come you're out? Who's got your kids? And I'd be like, well, who's got yours? You know, yeah. um, you know, and oh, oh, you're, you're cycling and, and you're a mum. Yeah, yeah, you're a dad and you're still cycling. So I suppose there's a little bit of that. And I just wanted to find be Emily if that yeah. may, it probably sounds silly it probably sounds silly doesn't it but I, I wanted to reconnect with my reconnect with who I was before I got married and the, the 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 woman before I got married and had kids and I definitely found her I think it absolutely makes sense and there's a little bit of that for everyone I think in in running particularly with longer distance running as you get out there and you you sort of get into that zone and and uh, your mind goes off somewhere else or it, it tries to find you and it gets away from those rigors of everyday life and, and you can sort of try and peel back a few layers and find yourself. Yeah, it's cheaper than counselling, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Although my trainer, although my tra- although my, there's a lot of trainers in my cupboard now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, this is actually one of the big lies, isn't it, about running it, it, that it's a cheap sport. Along along with all you need is a pair of trainers because you also yeah. need some, something to hold your phone and you need your latest Garmin and you need a head torch. Yeah. And <laughs> it never ends. Uh, and now, for me now, oh my god! So I I don't know if I so obviously when we were chatting last time. We, you know, I'd said that obviously during the the training of this, this was I was aware that I'd wanted to do MDS because obviously, and so that was my plan of walking because I know that in it, I know that in the heat of the Sahara, I won't be able to run at all. And so the whole walking thing came about because I wanted to make sure that I would be able to do that. I entered, so I am going. It's not long away. Um, I've suddenly realised it's in April. I, knew, I mean, I knew it was in April anyway, but like, it's, it, I'm not going next April. I'm going this April. 
And yeah. so suddenly now, like my, it's just like I rang the organizer today and I was just like, I think I've just emptied my bank account of just buying freeze dried food. <laughs> Uh, and oh god! Uh, so now is trainers, freeze dried food. Now it's you know it's a, it's a, it's a it's a really. I mean, I had a really. To be fair, I was really lucky in that Nepal trip that I'd got a really good rucksack anyway. So that you know, running one, uh, that would be my advice to anybody doing it: make sure you've got a decent running rucksack, not like Owen, whose strap broke in the first five first five miles. But yeah, so today's been like one of those really expensive days where it's just like, God, running is not a cheap sport. <laughs> how how exciting it? Well, I guess how exciting and how frightening is it to know that you're doing MDS that soon? Oh, it's ridiculous. Like everybody, I mean, I haven't really fessed up to a lot of people yet. So when when you put this out, people will now know. So yeah, I have told my really closest friends. They know. I, I I I fessed up on a Zoom call after Christmas that I was going to do it, um, and I don't. For two of them, I I know it was definitely not a shock. They they'd worked out. <laughs> hadn't seemed to have got back on my bike. <laughs> They're like you're still running, and there's only, you know, if you've done a five day multi stage run, there's only one thing that you're planning on doing. But I think they they assumed that I was going 2025. I think it's a bit of a shock for everybody that I'm going 2024. I tell my students and they're like, oh, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> why? Why would you do that? And I'm just like, I, I don't know, but I just, there's something about it. Something about it. And I've got, I've ordered myself one of those hats with a flap down the back. And I'm just like, yeah. why have I done this? It's such an iconic race, isn't it? It's it's such a well known race and a celebrated race, and yeah, I think to um, oh, to have the chance to 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 feel that you're able to do that and challenge yourself in that way, it must be pretty pretty amazing and uh, and and hugely exciting. It's mental, though, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, I've entered I've entered MDS. Uh, it's here it is we're on what second week of january and i'm going in april and i've entered the oh, toughest what well, is supposed to be the toughest foot race on yeah, yeah. that right <laughs> that's been my that's my someone said to me about it today and i was like well, it'll be all right won't it you know <laughs> what could go wrong they were like you're in the desert it's not like and the, we were talking about food prep and things like that and i was just like because in Nepal, I worked out that I couldn't consume. They have these 800-calorie breakfasts. I can only do 400 calories of those before I'm like, I can't eat anymore. This is like wallpaper paste. And they're like, what are you? And so on the Nepal trip, I was having bananas during the day. Well, I can't have bananas in the Sahara Desert. So I'm just <laughs> trying to work out what I'm going to do now. I'm just like, my God, I've got to find a substitute, a, ban a, a banana substitute. Well, anybody, if there's anybody out there who knows of a good banana substitute, then uh, let us know in the comments, and uh, and we'll let Emily know because she needs to have it for MDS. But I'm, I'm just gotta have another 450 calories a day. Three, but it's three bananas, isn't it? Three bananas is four hundred and fifty calories. So I need to find something. I've got cashew nuts, salted cashew nuts, pepperami pork pies which is my go-to on on cycling that's not good and it's not it's not it's that's not good uh, calories per gram and yeah. carbs per gram and i don't think a pork pie would survive the desert pork pies in the desert yeah it's not good is it 
<laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I'm just thinking, really, actually, looking back on our just our conversation today, really, what would what would Emily, who just been told she'd never might not ever be able to run again, think of Emily about to do the MDS? <laughs> she'd think she was Grace Jones. <laughs> she would think she was a rock. She was like she's fierce. People talk about Beyonce, uh, and I've always said to my girlfriends. Whenever you say to like a, a a friend and she's wearing something really nice and you'll go, you look great. And they'll go, oh, this old thing. And I'm like, Beyonce wouldn't say that. She'd say, look, rubbish on the hanger, but it looks incredible on me. Well, I'm not Beyonce. I'm Grace Jones. Um, <laughs> I haven't even Grace <laughs> Jones. And I think Emily, who was told she couldn't walk or wouldn't be able to walk properly again and aided, I think she would be like, that's Grace Jones, that is. That's that's pure Grace Jones, you know. I just it's gonna be an experience. And I can't almost almost the running is the sideshow. Does that make sense? That the meeting people, the experience, the yeah. being in the desert, the the camaraderie, the laugh, and I do have a really loud laugh. That that was one of the things one of the guys in Nepal said to me. He said, You you have the loudest laugh I've ever heard. Um it's been said before. I think it's the big teeth. They make a loud laugh. Big teeth, big smile, big mouth, big laugh. Um, so I think it's that. That that's what I'm looking forward to most is the the meeting people and the experience of it and sharing a tent probably with people that snore, you know, and just making friends for life. You, because yeah. I think when you do anything like that, that shared experience, that's that's what you take away from it. You forget the pain of the running and the pain of the sand and well I'm hoping so anyway it might be it might be it might be ingrained <laughs> but I think actually when you talk to people about these things that's what they talk about they talk about the people that they met and that and the those those exchanges that's what's that's what they take from it not the actual physical running side of things it's it's the joy that they from meeting other people and being part of something so that's what I'm looking forward to. So the old Emily, she'd be very proud. A little Fantastic. bit shocked. Oh, shocked and proud. Well, I think that's that's exactly how she uh, how she should have felt or should be feeling. And um, well done you. And good luck with MDS. And um, thank Emily, thank you. you so much for joining me today on the Running Tales podcast. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us on the Running Tales podcast. I hope you enjoyed Emily Moore's story as much as I did. It's amazing to hear how she went from being told she wouldn't walk unaided again to being on the very edge of running the Marathon de Saabs. Remember, if you do enjoy the Running Tales podcast, to give us a positive rating or review wherever you listen. You can also catch up with loads of stories from the running world on our Substack newsletter, which can be found at www.runningtales.substack.com. Another quick reminder of our incredible offer this week from Grayson Murphy. Make sure to head over to www.racen-grayson.com and use the discount code RUNNINGTAILS20 to get a fantastic deal on your Racing Grayson training log and planner. Thanks again for joining us on this week's Running Tales podcast and I look forward to seeing you all again next week for another Running Tales.